Good morning. Please turn to the book of 2 Timothy. We found our new book. That is me and the Holy Spirit. I think. Second Timothy. It's been a while, but I preached through First Timothy in 2017. I went back and looked. Let me remind you that Timothy was serving as Paul's liaison with the church in Ephesus, mostly. In the first letter, Paul wrote to Timothy, First Timothy, about false teachers that were in the church. And he gave them practical instructions for how Christians should carry themselves. And a a fairly exhaustive list of qualifications for overseers and deacons. Except for Titus, if we didn't have the 1 Timothy um, section about overseers and deacons, we really wouldn't know much about the qualifications for them at all. Scholars believe that Paul wrote 2 Timothy near the end of his life, probably the last letter that he ever wrote that we have. Um, He was in prison at the time in Rome. Most people think this is the second time he was actually in prison in Rome. First time being there for a couple years, released, and then later imprisoned again. At this time, persecution against Christians was very heavy from the Romans. And Paul, this historians believe this, that he was he likely um, killed sometime during the reign of Nero. Sometime. Nero, if you remember, he's very young when he was made emperor. 16. And by some accounts, even many accounts, early in his reign, he wasn't that bad of a guy. It was as he reigned and as he got older that he became very cruel. And many Christians were persecuted and often martyred because of Nero and his policies. And his rule, though, he's infamous, was not long. He died at age 30. Um, but it's likely that Paul's second imprisonment in Rome and death occurred during Nero's rule. And he writes Second Timothy as a very personal letter to Timothy during this time. Probably written between 64 and 67 AD. So this is not long before the fall of Jerusalem. Paul sits in prison. This is very timely, Eric, because of our lesson this morning. Um, Very timely. Paul sits in prison, and he's likely already received a death sentence. And he's writing to Timothy to persevere in the faith, even while suffering for that faith. Like I said before, it's likely the last letter that we have that he wrote. It's, it's a kind of farewell letter to his ministry partner, his brother, his friend. And the contents of it is what Paul is hoping that 
to have the last word to Timothy. This is what I want you to remember. It's very personal. We'll hear Paul tell Timothy to endure in the faith, to persevere in bold ministry, even though persecution is widespread at this time. I mean, it was early on, right? Paul's been beaten several times before Nero came to power. But now it's even heavier than it was. And he instructs him again about how to deal with false teaching, and there'll be some comparisons about good guys and bad guys. So let's have a word of prayer before we start. <clears throat> Father, thank you for um, leading me to Second Timothy. And we pray that this um, walk through the scriptures would be beneficial to us. It would strengthen our faith. It would um, give us courage. It would help us to understand the mindset of Paul and instructions that he's leaving with Timothy. Father, we, we, we're thankful that we can study it and we recognize the limitations that we have because we don't know the whole story. But we pray that what you have for us we would glean and that we would grow in our faith and we would love you more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's read chapter 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers, night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling not because of our works but because of his own purpose and grace which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me, in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all 
who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the house of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you will know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. Amen. <clears throat> Paul's opening is a typical Pauline opening. He reiterates he is an apostle of Jesus. That is, he is one who is sent out by the will of God, not by men. He, If you remember the story of Paul, he receives the truth of the gospel from Jesus himself. Sometimes people would accuse Paul and say, what you're preaching is a derivative of what other people are preaching. And he said, no, I got it before. I got the message before I even met those dudes. God revealed it to me directly. And then when I met them and we compared, they were the same. Um, but the point is, he didn't take on the job by his own will. He was made an apostle by God. And he says, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. What is the promise of life that he refers to? Isn't it eternal life? Blessed peace with God through faith in Jesus? And then he says to Timothy, the letter is written, obviously, to Timothy. This is why we titled it Humans, I mean, Timothy. And he says, he's, you're beloved by me, Timothy, my beloved child. He considers him a child in the faith, and he his father in the faith. And what he wants for this beloved child and ministry partner and friend is that grace and mercy and peace would be given to him through God. God the Father and the Lord King Jesus. Verse 3, he talks about thankfulness. He's very thankful to God for Timothy. If you think about Paul's ministry, there were lots of things, lots of people that were not solid he would teach them correctly, but then they would be influenced by others, and they were not solid in the faith. When Paul remembers Timothy, he's so thankful for him because he is solid. He prays for him all the time, he says. He prays for him in the night and in the day, all the time. And when he talks about that he can say this with a clear conscience. God knows how he prays for Timothy. It's like, I'm not just saying this. I say it with a clear conscience. I pray for you constantly. And he remembers a time, which we don't know exactly what happened. Verse 4, he says, I remember your tears. As I remember your tears, I long to see you. We're not sure what he's referring to. Was there a time when Paul was suffering and Timothy wept because of what was happening to him? And Paul says, I remember those tears that were for me and I long to see you. 
Or was it some point that they had to part company? And if you remember, Paul charged Timothy to stay in Ephesus while he went on somewhere else, and that meant that they were going to be separated. But Paul now, he longs to see Timothy. He says that I may be filled with joy. Have you, you've experienced this, haven't you? When you see a beloved brother or sister that you haven't seen in a long time, and they come in and you're filled with joy. This experience happened to me the day that Jonathan Simpson walked back into the church door. And I said, brother, wow, what a surprise, what a blessing. This happens. We long to see, we see each other and we're filled with joy. Paul is in prison. He's thinking about his friend. And he's saying, I, I wish I could see you. It would make me be filled with joy if I could see you right now. Verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith. That's what he remembers as he's considering this friend that he longs to see. And he remembers his faith. And he says, I remember your faith. It was sincere. It was real. It is real. We talk about the a good name is better. What would you like somebody to say about you? Would they think those thoughts about us? Wouldn't you want that? Oh, I remember him. He was a full of faith. She was full of faith, sincere faith. Isn't that what we would want somebody to say about us? I pray God would bless us with perseverance and loyalty in the work of God and others would testify about us as Paul is testifying about Timothy, a man of sincere faith. Paul says, some of your family had the same faith, including your mom and your grandma. And he's convinced Timothy is not playing games. He's the real deal. He he truly believes God is saving Timothy, and it's evident to Paul. Verse 6, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. I don't know what the gift is that he's referring to. I don't know what it is. He encourages Timothy to use it. You know, was it his ordination? Whatever gift it is, it seems that he's encouraging him to not neglect it because it would become weaker. Do you see that? Fan into flame the gift of God. The, the image is, if you've ever had a fire in your fireplace or outside, and there are embers in there, but it's not really on fire anymore, and you add more wood to it, and it just it's not catching. And if you have a piece of cardboard or something, and you can fan the flame, and it will get hotter and return to a fire. Paul says, fan into flame. Don't neglect the gift. 
Don't fail to stoke up the gift that would make it weaker. Paul doesn't want that. Instead, he wants Timothy to stir it up and fan the flame so that the gift of God will grow stronger. I don't really understand this exactly. I don't really understand it exactly, but apparently God's gifts can increase or decrease. Decrease through neglect and increase through um, perseverance, through striving and effort. Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Perhaps whatever the gift is, there's a, a temptation to not use it for fear. Perhaps preaching. Not sure exactly, but this word here, this fear here, it, it can mean cowardice. And specifically, like one who flees in battle. Paul tells Timothy, that's not the spirit that we received who shrinks back in battle. That's not what we've received. We've received the spirit of power and love and self-control. And, you know, you don't really think about this as it relates to fear, but be self-controlled about fear. Some people let fear drive all their actions, and they need to discipline themselves and be bold and brave. And I don't mean diving on a hand grenade for, to save everybody's life. What I'm talking about is the day-to-day -day things that happen that we fear rejection from other people or we fear harm from them. And the good things that we know to do and the good things that we know to say, we don't do and we don't say because of fear. Why should we fear? What can man do to us? Even if they kill us, we get the desired end that we want, which is to be with our Savior. But even though we know that that's true, fear is a powerful motivator in a negative way sometimes. Paul says, fan into flame the gift that you have. Don't be afraid. And you can, you can understand there's lots of persecution going around as Paul writes this to Timothy. You can understand how if you endure persecution once or twice or three times or ten times or twenty-five times, you start, I, I haven't endured this, but I can imagine that you would start to grow weary of this. And the things that brought on the persecution, you might slow down in saying, because do you want another beating? Do you want uh, another imprisonment? Verse 8, therefore, what do you mean therefore? says, we don't have a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power 
Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling. I mean, Jesus, in, in many ways, has this ever happened in the history of the world that somebody who dies such a humiliating and shameful death would be worshipped and his disciples would emulate him even? I mean, it was meant by the Romans to totally and completely humiliate, to strip every bit of dignity that the person has left, lying on the cross, naked, exposed for all to see, completely helpless, no chance of rescue. Paul encourages his friend, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Don't be ashamed of me. I'm in prison, but don't be ashamed of me. It's kind of hard for us to understand this. That somebody who you know didn't do wrong, but they're in prison. They've been in prison for a while, constantly locked up, questioned, beaten. Is this somebody you want to emulate? It is in this case, but there is a definitely a temptation to fear and to say, I'm not really going to mention this guy who keeps getting put in prison all the time. And he's already been sentenced to death. Paul's saying, listen, this is, this is the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of that. And don't be ashamed about me in prison. Instead of being ashamed, share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. If the house of mourning is better than the house of feasting, then what about suffering? Is suffering better than non-suffering? Does suffering do something that ease and or non-suffering doesn't do? The answer is definitely yes, it does. Would we want it? Would we pursue it? Not Normally, no, we wouldn't. We would say, don't go to that part of town. It is dangerous. If you go there, you might endure suffering there. Or those around you might. Don't go there. Avoid suffering. But as it relates to the gospel, you'll hear somebody say, I want to go to Saudi Arabia to preach the gospel. And immediately, where does your mind go? Really? Saudi Arabia? Don't they cut the heads of Christians off over there? Or all throughout, anywhere in the world where there's heavy persecution towards Christians. We would say, don't they need the gospel? And, you know, 
Armenia. We might encourage them. Our minds might push them to a less dangerous place. Don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. And then he talks about the call of God. Don't forget, Paul says, the call of God to all who are saved. He planned it. He purposed it. Verse 9, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace. Where Paul and Timothy are sharing the gospel, they're ministers of this gospel message that God saves us not according to our how how well we can obey him, but by his own purpose. I mean, when we were yet sinners is when Christ died for the ungodly. Because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus. When did he plan all this? He purposed it. He planned it according to his own purpose and his own grace. When did he do that? Paul tells Timothy, which Timothy knows already. He's reminding him. This is a farewell letter to his friend. He prepared this before the ages began. When? When is that? The Greek can be translated before times eternal. When did he plan it? Before, way before me and you, Timothy, way before God has his own purposes and his own plans, verse 10, and now has been made manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus. This plan that he's going to save his people through Jesus, who appears and abolishes death and brings life and Immortality delight through the gospel. I mean, if he plans it before the ages began, our works didn't make us savable. This idea that, well, yeah, God has a list, but he looks to the future first, and then he sees the people who who have hearts that would believe in him, then he puts them on his list. Then he goes back in time and adds them to the list from time eternal. It, it just doesn't make sense. God loves first. It's, it's the Lord's work that saves. I mean, if you want the wages of your work, it's not going to turn out well, right? What you've earned, you've been working hard for it, is death. That's what you've earned. By the grace of God in Christ Jesus, there's forgiveness. The debt gets canceled. The death that's been hanging over our heads is abolished. 
Verse 10, so think about that some more, has now been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. I mean, we know God saving by grace because Jesus, the Word of God, when he became flesh and dwelt among us, he says there's no more death but life, immortality. He says, he who believeth in me shall never die. And we say, but people die all the time. What if they come back to life? Are they dead? They're not. No more death, but eternal life. And it's because of his own sacrifice. Verse 11 and 12, Paul says, This gospel message, the gospel message that Jesus, by his own blood, by God's own purpose and plan, forgives the sins of the rebels. This idea, Paul says, I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher. And he says, which is why I suffer as I do. The reason he suffers so much is because light came into the world by Jesus, but the world loved darkness instead. He came to his own, but they received him not. They love darkness. They hate Jesus. They killed him. As our brother read this morning, Pilate is trying to give them a way out. Should I release him to you? They say, no, crucify him. We want him dead. What about all those who come after and continue on in the ministry and the legacy of Jesus. Are they loved by the world? No. So Paul says, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle. I was sent out, a teacher. And this is why I suffer as I do, because they hated him. They got rid of him. I keep going around everywhere telling the Jews that they ought to receive the Messiah that God has sent to them, and they want to kill me, put me in prison. Verse 12, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now, this is hard to understand exactly. What does he mean by what has been entrusted to him? Does he mean the faith that God had given to him to believe in Jesus? Does he mean the gospel message that he's been preaching everywhere he's gone since he was converted? Is it the whole thing, everything that God's been doing through Paul, both personally and in the ministry? I don't know what he means exactly. Is it something like that, though? Maybe if you guys have an idea, we can talk about it. 
But whatever it is, Paul says, even though I suffer as I do, it doesn't cause me to be ashamed of the gospel. I know who it is that I've been preaching about. This is Jesus, the Prince of Peace. His kingdom will have no end. And he's merciful and kind and gracious and patient and powerful. And these things are coming to pass according to his plan. I'm not ashamed of him. Why would I be ashamed of him? He's completely and altogether lovely. I know whom I have believed. I'm convinced. Verse 13. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. It's like he's saying to Timothy, when I'm gone, remember the pattern that you've seen. Remember the pattern of my life and my ministry, especially in faith and love that you get by knowing Jesus. Follow that pattern. Verse 14, he encourages him to guard what has been entrusted to him. The idea here, listen, we believe in perseverance of the saints. It is a biblical doctrine. But it doesn't mean that Christians aren't encouraged in the scriptures to watch out and guard and protect. Don't be careless. Why would you be careless? No, guard it. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Now, Paul's prayer is that the Holy Spirit would empower Timothy to be able to do it. And that is how we will be able to do it, by the power of the Spirit. Verse 15, he starts talking about, this is very interesting, Eric. He starts talking about names and people who don't have good names because of their actions. And it's written down for all time. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. We don't know what happened exactly. I think that it has to do with Paul being locked up and them just saying, there's no point in following this guy or helping him. He's a prisoner. And they just left. And we find out later that Luke is actually with Paul. But he says, all those who are in Asia turned away from me. Specifically, these two. They did not guard the ministry. They did not persevere. They turned away. These are two specific people who turned away and left. Verse 16, now we hear of one who has a good name. May the Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus. For he often refreshed me 
and was not ashamed of my chains. This is a man who remained true, who wasn't ashamed of Paul. He was bold in the ministry. Paul says, when he wasn't ashamed, the opposite of that. He came to Rome, which was a large city, not knowing where I was, and searched and searched and searched until he found me so that he could refresh me. He searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And he says, as you well know, all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So Timothy, being at Ephesus, would have known this man very well and is very familiar with whatever service Paul is talking about. This is a faithful guy. He has a good name in the ministry. I'm not really sure how they know each other as it relates to, you know, where does Onesiphorus come into the picture? Was he from Ephesus from the beginning? We're not sure, but whatever it was, he served there and was a help there. Well, that's the beginning of our study. That's all I have for today. Paul is writing a farewell letter to his friend. Reminding him about the faith, encouraging him to be bold, not fearful. Don't shrink back from the battle. Stay in the fight. We have God with us. <coughs> Next time we'll read about Paul charging Timothy to be a good soldier for King Jesus. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this time in your word. We thank you for Paul, our brother. We thank you for Timothy, our brother. We thank you for Onesiphorus, our brother. And we pray, Lord, that we would heed the word that Paul gives to Timothy, that we would have sincere faith, that we would be bold and brave and that we would cling to Jesus. We thank you and pray that you'd be with us as we fellowship together. Lord, may our conversations be seasoned with salt and bless us as we have the Lord's Supper later. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.